I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, starting in verse 53. Mark, chapter 14 and verse 53. We'll read verses 53 through 65. I want to title this message this morning, The Innocence of Jesus. The Innocence of Jesus. Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warned himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some arose and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, Prophesy. And the officer struck him with the palms of their hands. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, first of all, we thank you for this glorious day. We thank you for the heavenly sunlight that is filling our souls, that has filled our souls with joy this morning, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Father, thank you for the time of singing hymns. Thank you for these wonderful words that have been written down by men and women that you have inspired, Father, to write these words and that we get to sing these songs of praise to you. Father, we pray that you have received honor and glory from our lips. And Father, as the promise was read to us this morning by Pastor Brady, Father, that as we come to you this morning, Father, hungering and thirsting, you have said that we will never hunger and that we will never thirst. Because, Father, you will always fill us with your word. You will always fill us with that bread from heaven. And, Father, we long this morning just to look at Jesus Christ a little bit more. And that we are hungering and thirsting to be filled from him. And we are thirsting for more of him. Father, fill us with your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, open up our eyes now in this time that we look at your word. I pray that you would use your word to speak to the hearts of your people this morning. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been studying through the Gospel of Mark and looking at the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. The Gospel of Mark began with the ministry of Jesus And this whole time that we've been looking through the Gospel of Mark, we've covered about three and a half years of time. It doesn't seem like much time, and I'm talking about the time in Jesus' day, three and a half years of time from when Jesus began his ministry till this time where we are in chapter 14. It doesn't seem like that much time because Mark has moved quickly through the ministry of Jesus Christ. Mark is... The, brief, the briefest of the gospel accounts. And he moves from one occasion to another very quickly. His favorite word is immediately. 
And so he's been moving from occasion to occasion, event to event, and quickly, quickly taking us through the ministry of Jesus Christ as he called his disciples and as he began to teach his disciples and as he began to minister in all the towns of Galilee and Judea and Samaria. And it has led us up to this time where Jesus has now come to Jerusalem and they've kept the Passover. And now the time has come for him to be taken by the religious leaders, to be arrested. As Jesus had warned the disciples on three different occasions that he would be taken, he would be arrested, he would be put to trial, he would be condemned to death, and that he would be crucified. But after three days, he would rise again. He always gave them that hope. Look, this is going to get dark. This is going to happen. It's according to the will of God. But I will rise again. I will overcome death. And you will see my face again. And so we looked at last time how that they came to arrest Jesus Christ. And I want to say again that man has no power over Jesus Christ except for what he gives them. And so they tried many times to arrest Jesus Christ. It says that they tried to lay their hands on him, but they could not. It said that he just simply would slip through the midst of them. He would simply just pass right through their grips because, he said, his time had not yet come. And so they would never have been able to arrest Jesus, even with Judas Iscariot betraying him and giving them an opportunity to, had it not been according to the sovereign plan of God. And, it had, and had not Jesus given them authority to arrest him. Jesus willingly gave up himself. His disciples would have fought. He could have called 10,000 legions of angels to come and to rescue him. But his time has come. And we saw that he prayed in the garden right before this happened. He said, Lord, let your will be done not mine. His will was united with the Father's will. And the will of the Father had always been for Him to come, for Him to live a perfect life, for Him to be completely obedient to the law of God so that He could become the perfect sacrifice for sinners. And so that time has come for Him to become the perfect sacrifice for sinners. And so we saw that he, had, he was taken and he was arrested. And there's many things that we're going to see from this point forward up, up into the, the, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ. The rest of the, rest of the Gospel of Mark is about the trial, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it moves through pretty quickly. We'll be looking at some other Gospel accounts to fill in some of the things that Mark leaves out. But one of the... One of the important things that I don't want to miss, and I don't want you to miss, and it's what I want to talk about this morning, is that even though Jesus was tried, even though he was arrested, and even though he was convicted by evil men, Jesus Christ was innocent of any true crime. He was completely innocent of that. And it's important for us to remember that. It's important for us to know that. And it has a very important part to play in your salvation and in your life. The fact that Jesus Christ was truly innocent. But yet he became guilty for you. And so this is one of the... We'll look at many different things as we go through this. But the, what I want to look at this morning was the innocence of Jesus Christ. And how vitally important this is when it comes to him being a perfect sacrifice. We must understand that if Jesus wasn't completely innocent, he would not have been the perfect sacrifice. God's wrath would not have been able to be completely poured out upon him and completely satisfy all of his wrath against all of the sins of his people if Jesus wasn't a pure and spotless lamb. But I stand here today telling you what you already know, that Jesus Christ was completely innocent. He was the spotless lamb. And we see, and we're going to see this morning, as you already know, many of you already know, that even 
evil men who hated him could not find anything to accuse him of. Even the Roman leaders who did not believe in him and and who cared nothing about him, they could not find anything wrong in him. And certainly, when we think of the most important one that he was before, and that was God his Father, that when God the Father looked at him through this trial, through this, through this, all this that he goes through in this Passion Week, the Father sees that his Son is innocent. He's pure. He's holy. He's without sin. And therefore, he becomes the perfect sacrifice for sinners. And oh, how we love Jesus because he is the innocent one. Because he paid for all of our sins. He paid it all, and to all to him we owe. So my proposition this morning is that I want you to see that Jesus was completely innocent of any real crime, that he was falsely tried and convicted and put to death in the eyes of men. But I also want you to understand that this was absolutely necessary for him to be innocent so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for you who are a sinner. Jesus Christ had to be innocent for you who are guilty. You need to let that sink in. The only thing that Jesus could be convicted of was that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he had to be this. He had to be Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. He had to be God in the flesh. He had to be without sin. He had to be innocent in order for you to be saved. And so we will look at the innocence of Jesus and how this is important in your salvation and what it means for your life. The innocence of Jesus is vitally important for you to be saved. And it's also vitally important for you to be able to live a life that glorifies and honors Him. We'll look at this and what that means in your life. So first we'll look at the innocence of Jesus before men. Secondly, the innocence of Jesus before God. Thirdly, the importance of Jesus' innocence in your salvation. And then lastly, the impact of Jesus' innocence in your life. Now let's look at the text of Scripture and see, number one, the innocence of Jesus before men. I just take great comfort in this, that Jesus Christ was completely innocent. And even though they tried to accuse him of something, even though they brought false witnesses, brothers, they could not agree. Because Jesus Christ was so perfect. He lived such a perfect life. Every word that he spoke was true. Everything that he did was completely the will of the Father. He said, what I have heard from the Father, what I have seen from the Father, that's what I have done. He didn't do anything outside of the Father's will. And his ministry, his life is completely vindicated before God, before men. So we read in our text today that they have uh, arrested him and, brought, and now they bring him, they bring Jesus away to the religious leaders, to the Sanhedrin, to this group of the high priest, the chief priest, uh, the elders, and the scribes. And all this is being done at night and, and under the veil of night because what they're doing is really it's unlawful. Because Jesus is completely innocent. But we see that they try, right? It says in verse 55, Now the chief priest and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. They could not find a single testimony, a single true testimony that could testify that Jesus was guilty of any crime. They sought it. There was great effort in this. They put forth great effort to find true testimony that would convict Jesus so that he could be put to death. But they found none. And I submit to you that is because there was no testimony. There was no witness that Jesus had committed any crime 
worthy of being convicted and put to death. For, it says, many bore false witness. Right? So because they weren't able to find any true witnesses, any true testimony, because there was none, right? So we give them a break on that. They couldn't find any true testimony because there wasn't any. Because Jesus Christ had never committed any sin. He had never committed any crime. He had done nothing wrong. All he had done was good. All he had done was right. All he has done was honest. All he, was, how, all he had done was help people. And all he, all he had done against these people that hated him was he spoke the truth to them and it convicted them and they were pricked in their hearts. And instead of acting out in humility, they acted out in anger. They hated him because he pointed out the evil in their heart. And that's the way Christ is to everyone. He either stirs up within you anger because he exposes your evil deeds or he invokes in you love and joy because he speaks truth to your heart and you acknowledge the truth of what he says and you love him for it and you bow the knee to his lordship. They weren't willing to do that. They thought that he was a false messiah, a false Christ. They thought that he was blaspheming by saying he was the son of God, that he was God. But many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. So they could not even get their false testimonies against Jesus Christ to agree. And they needed them to in order to be able to truly convict him and put him to death. Then, there, then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying... So they, they thought that they had something that they could uh, convict him of, which was he said he was going to destroy the temple in three days and that he was going to build another one without hands. So he said, he's a liar, right? He, he is obviously a liar because he said, I'm going to destroy this temple in three days and then I'm going to have another one built after three days without hands. And that's impossible. He's a liar. But even in their coming and their saying this, they didn't agree with what he had said about this. So it says, verse 59, but not even did their testimony agree. Brothers and sisters, evil and wicked men could not even get their testimonies to agree that Jesus Christ wasn't innocent. Why do you think that is? Because God the Father would not allow it. And the high priest stood up in the midst of, and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? Are you not going to defend yourself against these accusations? One of the things that we look at when we see in Jesus' trial is that he doesn't try to defend himself. He doesn't. He doesn't need to defend himself. Every word that he's spoken is true. Everything that he's done has been perfect. He knows that he has done everything good and everything that is helping people. What would he have? What, what could he say? Now, when they ask him direct questions about who he is, he does not back down. So he says nothing about the false accusations because there's nothing to say. But the high priest knew this. He knew the one thing that the, the, the people would be stirred up about and that the council would be stirred up about and that they could get him convicted of was this blasphemy that they thought that he was committing in saying that he was the Christ, that he was the son of the living God. Because if it wasn't true, if he wasn't the son of God and he wasn't the Christ, if he wasn't the son of the most blessed, then it was blasphemy what he was saying. So they knew that this is the only thing they had So he asked him the direct question, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Jesus has already said this on many occasions. They've said in other times, tell us plainly who you are. You know, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly so that we can know. And what did Jesus say? I've told you time and time again, and not only have I told you, but you have seen the works that I'm doing, and that no man can do these works unless he be the Son of God. So they, heard, they had heard the testimony. They had seen the testimony. The problem was not that he hadn't told them plainly that he was the Christ or that there was evidence that he was the Christ. The problem was they were rejecting his testimony. And they were rejecting 
the works, and their hearts were hardened against who he was, and they could not see. Jesus says, even though I tell you plainly, and even though you see the works, you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they know me. They know who I am, and they love me, and they're following me. But you do not believe me, you do not know me, and you're not following me because you're not my sheep. So we know that. We know that they could not see that he was the Messiah. They thought that he was self-deceived. They do not believe this, and so they're wanting him to say it in this council so that they can get stirred up and they can have something to take to, to Pilate, to Herod. Jesus says, I am. Speaking the truth, he's innocent. He is the Son of God. He is the Christ. Peter declared that when Jesus asked, Who do you say that I am? Peter said, You are the Christ. You are the Anointed One. You are the Promised One. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the Living God. And Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Peter, you are blessed. Because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. All of those who were able to see and admit and confess who Christ was, God the Father had blessed them to be able to see this. He had given them the ability to believe. If you see Christ for who He is, if you understand that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's not because flesh and blood has has revealed this to you. It's not because your parents told you this. It's not because you studied it out in the Scriptures and you found it out. It's because God, the Father in heaven, gives you the gift of faith to be able to see and to believe. And He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit that points you to the Lord Jesus Christ and you lay hold of him in truth. But they were not able to see this. But he says, I am. And he reminds them once again that they will see him seated at the right hand of power, coming in the clouds. Not only am I the Christ, and I'm telling you this, but you're going to reject it right now and you're going to have me put to death. But I'm going to be raised victorious over death And I'm going to ascend into heaven and I'm going to sit down at the right hand of God on the throne. And you're going to see me. You're going to see my church. You're going to see these disciples ruling with power and overcoming all of your threats, overcoming all of your persecution, overcoming all of your hatred for me and my church. And you're going to see me overcoming, my church overcoming all the kingdoms of this world. And not only that, you're going to see me coming in judgment upon you in this place that you love so much. And all your false system and all your false belief and practice, I'm going to come in judgment and destroy it all. And then you'll remember who you tried, who you convicted, and who you put to death. And one day, brothers and sisters, he's going to return as the judge of all the earth. And they're going to have to stand before him And they're going to bow the knee to Him and say, You are Lord. You are the Christ. We were wrong. Because Jesus Christ is innocent of any crime. Only that He was truly the Christ, the Son of God. So even the unbelieving Jewish leaders, they couldn't find anything other than this. The fact that He was Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and they said, this is blasphemy. The high priest tears his clothes and said, what further need do we have of any witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death for blasphemy, saying he was the Son of God. Well, not only was Jesus innocent before these unbelieving Jewish leaders, But secondly, he was also innocent before the unbelieving Roman leaders. Let's turn to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 23. Because after this, they send Jesus to Herod to be examined by Herod. And then after Herod, Herod uh, Herod sends him to Pilate. And so we turn to the Gospel of Luke. First, first, actually, he's, he's handed over to Pilate. Then Pilate finds out he's from Galilee and he sends him to Herod. 
So let's start in the first part because it's important what Pilate says right here in the first time that he's with Jesus. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him saying, now listen, their whole thing of why they were condemning Jesus to death was because of blasphemy. But that's not what they bring to Pilate because that won't cause Pilate to have him put to death. He cared nothing about the fact that they thought that Jesus was saying he was the son of God. So then they have to bring false accusation to Pilate in order for him to be put to death. We found this fellow perverting the nation. Was Jesus guilty of perverting the nation? No. And forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Was Jesus guilty of that? No. In fact, we already read and studied what what he said. He said, "Render render to Caesar the things that are due to Caesar. And render to God the things that are due to God. Pay your taxes. Saying that he himself is the Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, It is as you say. Jesus is the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the king of the Romans. So Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowd, after examining him and after this being brought forth, I find no fault in this man. Now Pilate was a man who had many people brought before him time and time again, criminals. Criminal after criminal after criminal brought before him and he was to judge whether they would be sentenced to death. So Pilate is a man who has seen thousands of, of guilty men come before him, guilty women come before him, and he has found guilt with them and had them put to death. But Jesus is brought before him, and he says, after examining him for just a little little while, I find no fault in this man. This man is innocent. But they were the more fierce, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. And so Pilate, kind of wanting to be rid of this, says, Oh, Galilee. And so he asked him if he were the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he had belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Verse 8, Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. All Herod cared about about Jesus was that he heard he could do miracles and so he wanted to see one for his own eyes. Well Jesus wasn't here to do any more miracles. He was here to die. He was here to become the sacrifice. He was here to lay his life down and perform one of the greatest miracles that would ever be done. And that was to save sinners from their sins. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. Christ has nothing to say to Herod. And the chief priest and scribe stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Verse 13, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought me this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. Pilate, he wants to release Jesus. He has seen and Herod has seen. There is no fault in this man. He's innocent. You people are crazy. Let me chastise him and let me release him to you. For it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. 
And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. A guilty murderer. Crucify the innocent man, but release to us this murderer. This is how much they hated him. The blind, vitriol hatred that they had for Christ. That shows and that proves right in and of itself that he was innocent because of the vitriol hatred they had for him, even though there was nothing that they could accuse him for. And the fact that they were, have, they were willing to have a murderer, a clear thief and a murderer, released back into their midst, who was worthy of, truly worthy of being put to death for what he had done. They were willing for this man to be released back into their midst and to have an innocent man put to death who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him. Crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I mean, Pilate, Pilate is about justice. He, he is about the punishment fitting the crime. He has no problem putting people, people to death. The Romans loved this. They, they, they considered it an art, even though it was evil and grotesque. This was part of who they were, crucifying people, torturing them. But he says, why? What evil has he done? The... The, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. I've examined this man. Herod's examined this man. And I'm telling you a third time, why are you doing this? Why should I do this? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise, chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified and the voices of these men and of the chief priest prevailed. One thing Pilate was, was a people pleaser and a crowd pleaser. And he didn't want this crowd stirring up, a, a mob, being a mob and, and, and causing a rebellion. He didn't want to have to give a report back to his superiors about that. Superiors about that. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison but he delivered Jesus to their will but Jesus is vindicated in the eyes of even the evil Roman leaders he is found to be innocent they found nothing in him deserving of death I find no fault in this man so Jesus was Innocent before the unbelieving Jewish leaders. He was innocent before the unbelieving Roman leaders. Jesus Christ would be convicted. He was handed over, as it says here. He was tortured and he was crucified. And there was two men, two evil men, two thieves, two murderers, who were crucified along with Jesus Christ. One on his right and one on his left, right? And Jesus was crucified in the middle of them. Jesus' innocence is also seen by one of these criminals. Isn't that amazing? In the, in the purpose and plan of God the Father, He has an elect child of God that is one of these that are crucified with Christ and His eyes are open. And in one of the passage, passages of Scripture, it tells us that He is railing on Christ He's mocking Christ. He's making fun of him. And then all of a sudden, in another passage, it says that he's seeing that he's innocent. He's seeing that he's Lord. He's seeing that he's the king. And so Jesus is vindicated even by one of those that is being crucified with him, one of those that was guilty. So we go on later in Luke 23, in verse 39, it says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged, uh, who were hanged, blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, 
Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And listen to what he says. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. See how his eyes have been opened? And now he has seen the innocence of Jesus Christ, that he is, he is guilty of no crime that they had convicted him of. But that he is the Lord. This man has done nothing wrong. We have done wrong. We are guilty. We are deserving of this kind of death. We are deserving of crucifixion. But Jesus Christ, he says, he's not worthy of this. Not for his own deeds. I think his eyes were opened. And he saw that Jesus Christ was being crucified and dying because he was guilty. And he was dying for his sins. The thief on the cross. And so he cries out in faith. And he says to Jesus, Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Oh, the eyes of faith. To be able to see Jesus not as a a bloody, beaten, unrecognizable man. But to see him as Lord, Savior, Redeemer. The one who's dying in his place. The one who loves him enough to be willing, even though he's innocent, to be treated this way. And to give his life for him. His eyes are open. And he cries out to him and says, You are my Lord. You are my Savior. And not only that, he believes Jesus Christ is going to overcome death. Because he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. You're going to, you are the king and you're going to be the king. Just remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus has those precious words. I tell you that today you will be with me in paradise. And so we see the innocence of Jesus before even an evil criminal who is being crucified. And then lastly, there was a Roman centurion who was a witness to all the things that have been happening to Jesus. His trial, his scourging, his being nailed to the cross, his suffering and anguish and torment, the words that he spoke from the cross. And his eyes too were open to see the innocence of Christ. Verse 44 says, Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus Christ died. His flesh perished. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man, the one who was assenting to his death. Saul, his eyes were open, and he saw this man was not guilty. This was an innocent man who was put to death. And he glorified God because of what he had seen. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breast and returned because they saw that an innocent man had been put to death. And we can see from... So, brothers and sisters, we can clearly see from all these human witnesses, the unbelieving Jewish leaders, the unbelieving Roman leaders an evil criminal who was being crucified on the cross, a a centurion whose eyes were open, we can all see from them that they gave testimony and witness that Jesus Christ was truly innocent. That it was clear that he was being falsely accused and that he was being hated without a good cause. Do you see that Jesus is innocent? 
Do you see from these testimonies? Has your heart been opened and your eyes been opened to see the innocence of Christ and that He didn't die for His own sins, but that He died for your sins? Your sins put Him on the cross. He had to go and He had to suffer and He had to be innocent for your sins. Well, Jesus was innocent before men. And we can say that with absolute 100% surety. But more important of the fact that Jesus was innocent before men was secondly that Jesus was seen as innocent before the Father. So number two, the innocence of Jesus before God. And there's only really one passage we have to go to in order to realize this. And it's a very familiar passage to us. And it's a very beautiful passage. And it's Isaiah 53. Because Isaiah 53 is how God the Father sees God the Son. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord be revealed? Listen to this. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. All the days of Jesus' life. He was innocent. And he grew up as a tender plant before the eyes of his father. As we began the gospel of Mark and Jesus came onto the scene to be baptized, when he was baptized, it said a voice from heaven spoke and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He loved him. He was well pleased with him. And then we saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, that a voice spoke from heaven again and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Hear Him. As a root out of a dry ground, He has no form or comeliness, and when we see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised and we did esteem him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Not his own transgressions because he was innocent. But he was wounded for our transgressions, for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. So we find out why He was crucified, why He was put to death, was because of our iniquity being laid upon Him. Because He was innocent. But He became guilty for you. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. God the Father saw the innocence of His Son, but He laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. And they made His grave with the wicked, but with the rich at His death, because He had done no violence, nor was any deceit in His mouth. You see how the Father sees Him? Not guilty. Yet, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Some, you know, to some people, this doesn't make sense. And some people have said this is cosmic child abuse. For the father to pour out his wrath upon his son, even though his son is innocent. But we understand it's because he, he laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And he was being chastised and he was being bruised and he was being put to death 
for our sins. And God was pouring His wrath out route upon Him, not because of His sins, but because of our sins. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He has put Him to grief. When you make His soul an offering for sin. So we know that Jesus was innocent before the eyes of the Father because He was made an offering for sin and no offering can be brought before God unless it is perfect, unless it is pure, unless it is holy. And Jesus Christ, as the perfectly innocent one, was brought before the Father and He became the perfect sacrifice, the perfect atonement for sin. And that's why it pleased the Lord to pour out His wrath upon Him because He was pure and holy and He could take it. And He soaked up all that wrath for all our sins so that you would never have to experience the wrath of God against your sin. That's why the innocence of Christ is important for you. Because if He wasn't innocent, God's wrath was not satisfied against your sin. And you will have to pay for your sin. All those who are not covered by the blood of Christ, all those who have not put their faith and their hope and their trust in Him, they will have to suffer the wrath of God for their sin. He shall see his seed and shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied God the Father was satisfied with the travail of Christ's soul because He was innocent and because He became the perfect sacrifice. By His knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for He shall bear their iniquities. Because Jesus Christ was innocent and He died for you who are guilty, you can become innocent and justified in His eyes because Christ took upon your sins. Christ took your sins upon him and he paid for them in full. So, as God the Father was viewing the innocence of his son, it says that for three hours, from 12 o'clock to three, there was darkness upon the face of the earth. Because the Father was viewing the innocence of his son and he was pouring out his wrath upon him. And a great visual representation of that is darkness. He was numbered with the transgressor, transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. If Jesus wasn't innocent, the Father would not have allowed him to go through this. Only if he was innocent would he have allowed him to go through this and done this. Also, when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, we know that that was proof that he was innocent because he would not have been vindicated He would not have been justified if he wasn't raised from the dead proving that he was the Son of God, that he was the perfect Lamb of God and that he had made atonement for sin. And so Jesus Christ was raised from the dead giving us proof that he was innocent and accepted as a perfect substitute for your sin in the eyes of the Father. And so this just flows right into our third point that the importance of Jesus' innocence in your salvation If Jesus wasn't innocent, brothers and sisters, then he would not have been the perfect Lamb of God. He would not have been the perfect sacrifice for your sin. And you would still be dead in your sins. So praise God. Worship the Lord because he provided one who is innocent for you. Jesus Christ became your mercy seat so that your sins could be forgiven. And now God sees you as innocent as Jesus. This is the amazing thing about grace. It is not only because of Jesus Christ being innocent does God forgive and wash away all our sins, but He also transfers to us the innocence of Jesus Christ and He lays it upon our account. And so how God sees you now is He sees you as you have never committed a sin. And you have kept the law perfectly. That's how God sees you right now. Can you believe that? How does that change your view of God? He is not an angry God in heaven who is angry with you. He is filled with love and He's at peace with you. And He's satisfied 
and he loves you as a father loves his child. His heart is grieved when you sin, but he loves you just the same. And he never leaves us nor forsakes us. And so the importance of Jesus' innocence in our salvation is everything. If Jesus wasn't innocent, there is no perfect sacrifice. In this, just a few verses to speak upon this. Romans chapter 3, we know of and are familiar with. But this is what he's saying. After saying, all are guilty, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. God has looked at you in your sin and he has said guilty. Deserving of death. Deserving of eternal punishment. But there's good news. Verse 19, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of the sin, is knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, the innocence, being innocent before God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, as the mercy seat, by His blood, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. So God can be just in pouring out his wrath upon one who is innocent because he took upon our guilt, he took upon himself our sin, and God was able to pour out his wrath upon him. And because he did that, he is now able to pardon the one who is guilty because he's able to declare them not guilty. He's able to declare them innocent because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we lay hold upon that by faith. 1 Peter chapter 1. I hope this is filling you with joy. Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious, the innocent blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's what you are redeemed with. You are redeemed with the perfect, precious, and innocent blood of Christ. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Our salvation rests and relies upon the innocence of Christ. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5 puts it so beautifully the importance of the innocence of Christ and his substitutionary atonement for your sins. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. How could he do that? How is that possible for you? For God not to impute your trespasses against him. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For, this is how, for he made him who knew no sin 
to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So there it is. He became innocent for those that were guilty so that you who are guilty may become innocent. There's no greater news than that. That's the greatest news. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ was innocent for you because you're guilty and you need one who is innocent. And Jesus is that one. So what impact does this have on your life? Number four. Jesus was innocent before men. He was innocent before the Father. This is vital in our salvation. But this is not just so that we can get to heaven. This is not just for our future so that we can have a hope that when we die we'll go to be with God because our sins are covered. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and was innocent and died a substitutionary death so that He could redeem you and me from our sins and purchase for Himself a bride that is without spot and that was out without blemish that loves Him and lives for Him in this present evil world. So Jesus Christ was innocent so that you and I could live our daily life before Him in holiness and righteousness and impurity. We couldn't do that without His innocence. And so if you go to these passages that speak about what Christ has done in, in saving us, if you go back to 1 Peter, if you go back to Romans chapter 3, what you'll see after He talks about what Christ has done and how He was innocent and how this has saved us, He goes on to say how you're to live, right? You're to be holy. You're to be without spot, without blemish. Because He has cleansed you. He has forgiven you. And so Peter would go on to to talk about how that we should be willing to suffer for Christ. Because He was willing to suffer for us. Even though He was innocent. Even though in the world's eyes He was given no justice. Right? There was no justice for Christ in the eyes of men. He was treated unjustly. He was convicted unjustly. And He was put to death unjustly. He was crucified unjustly. But He did it for you. And so the practical application for you is is that the world is going to treat you unfairly. Unbelievers are going to treat you unjustly. Your friends sometimes are going to treat you unjustly. Even your family might treat you unjustly. Peter says, if you're a Christian, be willing to suffer injustice. Because Jesus Christ was innocent, but yet he suffered as a criminal for you and for me. So we've got to be willing to do the same. And so he says, don't think it a strange thing when a fiery trial comes upon you. But he says, count it all joy when you get to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get to be like him in that way. You know, we want to avoid trial. We want to avoid suffering. But Peter says, embrace it. James says, count it all joy when you fall into different kinds of temptations. Because those temptations are going to do something in you. They're going to help your faith to grow, your trust in God to grow. They're going to work in perseverance in you. And they're going to work in you a greater hope that says, there's something beyond this life that I'm looking forward to. So I can endure, I can persevere through trials, temptations through hatred of my enemies, because there awaits another world for me in which God is preparing me right now and in time. So the instance of Christ has personal application to your life now. I'll close with Romans chapter 5. Because after explaining what Christ has done in His substitutionary death and how we're justified, not by what we do, by what Christ has done and by believing that. He says this is the practical implication of this in your life. Therefore, having been justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, 
How are you to stand against the wiles of the devil every day? It's by realizing you've been justified by grace. You've been justified by the blood of Christ. And you stand innocent before Him. What can there be that the devil would throw at you? What can there be that your flesh would would try to do to you? What could it be that the world would try to do to you? But yet you can overcome by knowing this truth. You're innocent in the eyes of your Father. The most important one. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We are, the Holy Spirit daily is pouring into you and pouring into me the love of God and the love of Christ. And He's pouring into you the innocence of Christ so that no matter whether you go through trials or temptations or persecutions, you can persevere and your character, your character is being revealed and your hope is being strengthened. So I pray that you and I can rejoice in the innocence of Jesus Christ, that even though he was innocent, he became guilty for us so that we might become innocent in him. He has secured our home in heaven and he has secured for us now the ability to live a life that pleases him. May God be praised.